This morning we're in Revelation chapter 4. If you would turn me, turn with me to Revelation chapter 4 and also uh, find Isaiah chapter 6. I, Isaiah chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles for you at the doors. We'd love to give those to you on your way out, our gift to you. Uh, please feel free to pick one of those up. This morning, we're going to be focusing on beholding the throne. Revelations 4 is all about the throne room of God. Such encouragement uh, for us. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can gather together as your people, that we can worship your name, that we can enter into your throne room. Lord, we thank you that your throne room as believers is our ultimate destination. It's what we look forward to. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We ask that you would bless the time in your word, that you would speak to us in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Having a view of God's throne puts this life in perspective. We know that this book was originally given to the seven churches that we've spent several weeks studying. They were going through a lot of persecution, a lot of difficult times, and they would be encouraged by knowing that Christ is seated upon the throne. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3, he says this, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Christ is seated upon his throne, and we're encouraged, we're exhorted to set our mind on things above, to set our minds on the throne room of God. So I'd like to invite you for the next several minutes, half hour, 40 minutes or so, to really focus upon the throne room of God. That God would allow us to behold his throne and then to see our lives in perspective that God is on the throne. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6 because Isaiah the prophet, he gets a vision of the throne room of God and we see how much that it alters and it changes his life. Isaiah 6 verse 1 and then we'll jump into Revelation chapter 4. Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his feet, with two he covered his face, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. God was gracious enough to Isaiah the prophet for him to have a vision of God upon his throne. 
the holiness of God, the power of God, the voice of God shaking the, the posts of, of the temple. John is similar in this. John is on the island of Patmos. He's a prisoner, and God allows for him to have a vision of the throne room of God. And for us, through the eyes of faith, through the eyes of Scripture, we look at the throne room of God. So let's look at John's account of this throne room in Revelation 4. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet, speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place after this. Key verse for the book of Revelation is Revelation 1, verse 19. It's the divine outline for this book. I want to review that. Write the things which you have seen, Write the things which are, write the things which take place after this. That phrase, after this, is used again here in chapter 4, verse 1. After these things. At the end of verse 1, come up here and I will show you things which will take place after this. So, chapter 1, John writes the things that he's seen. The revelation of Christ. Then he writes the things which are chapters 2 and 3. Now there's a clear distinction in verse 1 of chapter 4 after these things. So after what things? It's interesting, church is mentioned, the word church is mentioned 19 times in the book of Revelation, but never again after chapter 3. It seems to me that right at this point, we have a picture of the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church is when Christ takes the church to be up with the Lord and forever uh, with the Lord. We've talked about before, there's varying of views on when the rapture will happen. Ultimately, we don't know and we shouldn't divide over it. But it is key to know that Christ is going to return for his church. I do believe in a pre-tribulation rapture view. There's, there's several reasons why. One is because the tribulation that we'll begin to study is the wrath of the Lamb. And Jesus took the wrath for us. It's God's punishment on a Christ-rejecting world. The second reason is Jesus taught us to look for his soon imminent return. If the rapture happens the middle of the tribulation or the end of the tribulation, Christ can't come today because we know from the scriptures we're not in the tribulation yet. We'd be more looking for the Antichrist than for Jesus Christ. Also, the order of the book of Revelation is one of those. We have to wrestle with after what things. I believe it's after the church age when God has called the church to be with the Lord. Either way, here nor there, John gets a vision of the throne room of God as, as God welcomes him up. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Do you underline in your Bible? Because if you do, this is one to underline. If you memorize verses and meditate upon Scripture, the first thing that John sees is there's a throne that is set in heaven. The things of this world do not affect God being seated upon his throne, his throne being set. Challenges in our lives, God's still set upon his throne. Sin that we commit, God's still set upon his throne. Sin that others commit, God is still set upon his throne. Vaccines or no vaccines, God is still set upon his throne. 
a Democrat in office, God is still set on his throne. A Republican in office, God is still set on his throne. Amen? No matter what's going on in your school, what's going on with your work, what's going on with your boss, what's going on with politics, our health, God is set on, your th- on his throne. And this is so important for these seven churches that we've just studied. And it's so important for us to lift our eyes and go, God, your throne is set. Nothing can shake your throne And Christ is seated upon the throne. We always see throughout the New Testament, Christ is seated on the throne. He's not pacing on the throne. He's not on the throne going, oh no, I don't know what to do here. This is too difficult uh, for me. He's at a position of rest. The only time that we see Jesus not seated at his throne is when Stephen the martyr was killed. And he had a vision of heaven, and Christ was standing, welcoming him in, into heaven. When you're at home and you're seated, you're resting. And Christ has finished the work for our salvation. He's paid the price. He's risen from the dead. We're forgiven, and he is seated there. In fact, the, the book of Ephesians tells that we're seated with Christ. Our position in Christ is, is one of rest. Christ is upon his throne. Salvation has been paid for. And we have confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We go on to verse 3. And he who sat, there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. John uses the word like several times because he has this vision of the throne room of God and he's got to try to put it into language. And, and he says it's like a, a jasper stone. It's like a sardis stone, the appearance of God. We know that the sardis stone is a ruby. The NIV translates it as, as a ruby. It's a red-colored stone. Most Bible commentators think the jasper here is referring to a clear Stone, much like a diamond, in contrast to the jaspers that we know uh, today. But what I think is most significant, the fact that the appearance of Christ is like a jasper and sardis stone, if you go back to Exodus chapter 28, you see that the first and last stone of the high priest, the stones representing the 12 tribes, was the jasper and sardis stone. Jesus is the first and the last, and he's the ultimate high priest. So when John sees Jesus, he's pointing us to the fact that that Jesus is our high priest. Around the throne, we've seen who's on the throne, but what's around the throne? There's a rainbow, and its appearance is like an emerald. Now what's interesting about an emerald is it's a, a green stone. It's a green gemstone. So somehow this rainbow has got the green colors in it, the green hues in it. Why would there be a rainbow around the throne? Because God gave the rainbow to Noah and his family, promising that he would never destroy the earth by flood. Again, the rainbow is a reminder that God keeps his promises. As we behold the throne room of God this morning, we have a God who's faithful to his word. He doesn't lie. He doesn't change his mind. He's faithful to his promises. Verse 4. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. 
24 elders on thrones, these many thrones. There's one ultimate throne, but these lesser thrones that God has given to the 24 elders. We don't know who the 24 elders are, but we do have an indication from verse 4 is that they're clothed in white robes. And this is how we see the church. The church is clothed in white robes with the righteousness of Christ. He removes our sin. He removes our filthy rags. He clothes us in his righteousness. So most likely, these 24 elders are saved people that God has chosen to have these positions of leadership in heaven. And there's been a lot of speculation is they're 12 from each of the tribes of Israel or 12 disciples. We don't know ultimately, but God has, has raised up these elders and they have white robes and they have crowns, gold crowns, the victor's crown, the crown of reward that God has, has graciously given to them. And from the throne proceeding, lightnings, thunders, and voices, seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So we've seen who's on the throne, we've seen what's around the throne, but we also see what's coming from the throne. There proceeds lightnings and thunders and and voices. Reminds us of Mount Sinai when God gave the law to Moses. There was thunder, there was was lightning, It, it was powerful. The throne of God is powerful. Amazingly powerful as God sits upon his throne. Also, there's these seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. If you've been studying with us through Revelation, we've seen the seven spirits of God several times already in our study. And it kind of causes us a question of, well, what are these seven spirits? Ultimately, we don't know, but we do know the spirit of God is one. So this isn't seven Holy Spirits. It could speak of the fullness of the spirit, the number seven is the number of completion, so, so the full ministry of the Spirit. Isaiah 11 verse 2 describes seven attributes of, of the Spirit, but it's represented in these seven flames before the throne room of God. So let's pause for just a second and try to get a mental picture. If you were to try to imagine the throne of God in your mind, what would you, what would you picture it at so far? Well, it's set. It's immovable. Christ is on the throne. And he's like a sardis stone and a jasper stone. There's this rainbow that's behind the throne. But then there's also thunder and there's lightning and these seven lamps that are burning. The throne of God's a very dynamic place. If for some reason you think the throne of God is a boring place, man, you're wrong. Those that are home to be with the Lord, they're having a good time at the throne room of God. When we're welcomed to the throne room of God in prayer, we're entering into a very dynamic place. Well, in front of the throne, what's before the throne? Before the throne, there was a sea of glass-like crystal. The sea that's calm. It's so calm, it's like, like crystal. If you have spent some time down on Pueblo Reservoir, sometimes it's just clear as glass, isn't it? But then there's other times, especially in the afternoon, when the wind picks up and starts to get a little bit choppy. But before the throne room of God, there's water that is completely calm. 
Remember, the book of Revelation is in symbols. I think God is speaking to us that there's a calm that comes from the throne room of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, we're told that we get to come boldly to the throne room of God to find grace and mercy and help in the time of need. And when we take God up on his offer, and we boldly come in because of the blood of Jesus, and we enter into God's throne room, enter into the Holy of Holies, there's a calm that comes over our hearts. There's a peace that comes over our hearts. It's a peace that surpasses understanding. I don't understand this, but I understand that God's got it under control. We're able to enter into the peace of the Lord. Also, when the tabernacle was built, if you'll remember, God told Moses that it was symbolic of of heaven. So there was specific measurements for the tabernacle because the tabernacle is an earthly model of what we're going to experience when we get in heaven. And what was out front of the tabernacle was a laver, a basin for the priest to wash in. And so before the throne room of God is is all of this water. Jesus washes us in the water of the word. Does this make you excited about going to heaven? Right? So now what's in the midst of the throne? If you thought this was crazy, it gets a little crazier. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. Just like your mom. (laughs) I'm pretty sure a couple of our kids, when they were young, really believed that Amber had eyes in the back of her head. What are these four living creatures? They're full of eyes. And then their faces described. The the first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature, like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. When we get to heaven, our focus is going to be upon Christ, no doubt. But I'm kind of also excited to see these guys in a much lesser degree. The book of Revelation is in symbolic form. So what's the significance of one looking like a lion? Another looking like a calf or or an ox? One looking like the face of a man and the fourth of of a flying eagle? Probably the four living creatures are symbolically representing the attributes of God, including his omniscience and omnipresence indicated by the creatures being full of eyes. So so all of the eyes are speaking to the fact that God is all-knowing. With the four animals bringing out other attributes of God, the lion indicating the majesty and power of God. We, We think of a lion with majesty and power. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The ox or the calf is a a typical of faithful labor and patience. The face of a man pointing to the incarnation of Christ, that, that God became man. He dwelt in human flesh. The eagle is the greatest bird representing the supremacy of God and the sovereignty of God. Also, the four gospels point out different attributes of Christ, The book of Matthew points to Jesus as the lion, and one of these living creatures is like a a lion. The book of Mark points to to Jesus as the ox, if you would, the calf, a servant, really points out that Jesus came to serve. Luke 
points on Jesus' incarnation, that God came in human flesh, the third creature with a face like a man. The fourth creature like an eagle points to the book of John, where Jesus is presented as the Son of God, the creator who reigns over all things. In verse 8, the four living creatures, each having six wings, so not only do they have these trippy faces, but they've got six wings and full of eyes around with them, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. We see some similarities from John's vision of the throne room of God, the seraphim flying around God's throne. And these living creatures, day and night, they don't rest, and they're worshiping God. Worship is the agenda of heaven. Worship is the program of heaven. And they're describing, God, you're holy, 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 holy. Same thing that we read in Isaiah chapter 6, the the holiness of God, that he's whole, that there's nothing missing in God. Do you ever go through different experiences of life and you go, man, this is good, but it seems like there's something missing. Oh, this is good, but it seems like there's something missing. In Christ, there's nothing missing. He's holy. He's the absence of everything that's evil, everything that's wicked, and he's the presence of everything that's good. He's holy, and there's this expression of worship to his holiness. Also, his power, Lord God, Almighty, that he's all-powerful, that nothing is impossible or difficult from God. His eternal existence is emphasized. Who is, who was, and who is to come. He was in the past, he's in the present, and he will be in the future. In Psalms 113, verse 3, it says, from the rising of the sun till the time it goes down, the name of the Lord should be praised. God's desire for us as we go through our days is to praise the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In Psalms 29 verse 2, it says, Give unto the Lord glory do his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. So God is deserving of worship. And these creatures, they get it right in worshiping the Lord. Now notice what happens as they worship in verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, that gives us a good idea of what worship is, giving God glory, giving him honor, giving him thanks. Again, this emphasis that God sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. Then the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the Lord, saying, The worship of the four creatures inspires the 24 elders to worship. Have you ever had that happen? You come into service and maybe not really feeling it with worship, and you look a couple rows forward, someone's worshiping the Lord. Someone next to you is worshiping the Lord. And before you know it, you find yourself stirred, moved, inspired to worship the Lord. If you have the privilege of living with believers and your family or roommates, and they begin to sing to the Lord, and then you find yourself, man, that song is just stuck in my head. And you find yourself singing that song through the day, and you realize, man, I've been inspired to worship 
because my spouse was worshiping. My, my kids were, were worshiping. So as we worship, it spurs and stirs others to, to worship the Lord. I think most of us can give testimony to the fact that God used someone else's worship to bring us to Christ. I know that was the case for me when, when I was in high school. There was a classmate of mine my freshman year where she had a, just a contagious love for the Lord. She loved Jesus. She would bring her Bible to school. Hey, I read this today in my devotions, and it, it was underlined. And I'm like, wait a second. I'm missing something here with Jesus. It wasn't necessarily like she was coming to school going, I got to reach someone for Christ. She was just so in love with the Lord. She was worshiping the Lord. That was the, the byproduct of, of her, her worship, is it? moved me, it moved others to worship as well. So now the 24 elders, they're falling down before him. That's the idea of worship, means to turn towards, to bow, and to kiss. So when we bow before the Lord, we turn towards him, and we give him our adoration, we're worshiping him. They take their crowns, and they begin to lay their crowns down at the feet of Jesus. Probably one of the reasons why God chose these 24 to be elders is because they understood worship. They were worshipers. I want to suggest to you that real spiritual influence comes out of worship, comes out of beholding God, God's glory. Also, the 24 elders, they're unified because they're all worshiping Christ. They're not divided. There isn't contrary opinions because their focus is upon Jesus. We've looked at already in Revelation lots of different crowns that God promises to the church. And throughout the New Testament, there's this idea of God giving the reward of, of crowns. We go, well, why would that really matter? God's gracious enough to forgive us of our sins. He's gracious enough to cause us to be like him in eternity. When we get to the throne room of God, the Bible tells us when we see him, we're going to be like him. No longer struggling with sin, we're glorified. Sins are forgiven. We're made like God. We're the children of God. We're the sons and, and daughters of God. We're the bride of Christ. Man, if, if that's not enough, I don't know what is. But on top of that, God says, I want to give you rewards for serving me throughout your life. Now, we know the only way we can serve the Lord is through his power, through his strength, through his ability. It's not us, but yet he's still wanting to reward. And then what do we do with the rewards? There's not going to be anybody going around in heaven going, check out my bling bling. You like my crown? Woo! These 24 elders are, are not prideful about their position. They're not prideful about their crowns. They're taking their crowns and they're laying them down at the feet of Jesus. That's what we're going to be doing with our crowns in heaven. Let's do it now. Let's enter into the program and the agenda of heaven now. And any good thing that God has allowed in your life, lay it down at the feet of Jesus in worship. Because he's the one that's provided it. He's the one that's allowed you to do it. Elizabeth Elliot, she has this amazing quote of saying, a compliment is like a bouquet of flowers that at the end of the day, I lay down at the feet of Jesus. So if someone comes to Elizabeth Elliot and says, oh, thank you so much for this or that, or God really used you in my life, she didn't take it upon herself as this is for me. She'd store it up and then she'd lay it down at the feet of Jesus. She would say, Lord, this, this belongs to you. 
So is God using your life? Put it at the feet of Jesus. As he blessed you with a home, put it at the feet of Jesus. As he blessed you with a wonderful, beautiful family, put it at the feet of Jesus. Has he given you some abilities? Put it at the feet of Jesus. And verse 11, For you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created. You are worthy, O Lord. Look at verse 9 of chapter 5 in your Bibles. Because this theme of Christ being worthy, it's carried on into chapter 5. In chapter 5, there's this scroll that's sealed that no one's able to open except Christ. Christ is the only one who is worthy. So this is verse 9 of chapter 5, and they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Christ is the only one that is able to save us from our sins. He's perfect, the God-man. And he died upon the cross and rose again to open this scroll, to open this seal, to forgive us from our sins so that we could be redeemed unto God, so that we could be made kings and priests. And that's what's expressed. That's what the 24 elders are expressing, is you are worthy. That's what we do when we worship the Lord, is we worship him in spirit and in truth. And Jesus told us when we worship him in spirit and in truth, he seeks those who worship him in that way. We think about drawing near to God, but God also is drawing near to us as we draw near to him. So as as we worship in spirit and in truth, then Jesus is seeking after those who worship in in that way, expressing the, the worthiness of Christ. So we can go throughout our days going, Jesus, you're worthy. Jesus, you're awesome. Jesus, thank you so much for for dying for my sins. I'd be lost in my sins without you. Oh man, today was a rough day. Don't want to duplicate it. But I'm closer to being with you. I'm closer to beholding your throne for myself. You are worthy. This is really important here at the end of this chapter. You created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Do you wonder why you're here? Do you wonder how you got here? Those questions are answered in this verse. You got here by God. God created you. God designed you. There's no question that these pair of glasses were designed. You've got a design, so you have a designer. How much more complex are are you? I think maybe, 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 it's a long maybe in days past, people could believe in evolution, but what all that we know through science today, if you still believe in evolution, I don't know what you're looking at. You look at DNA and how complex it is, do a Google search on DNA and go, that just evolved? One, one little thing goes wrong and we don't have human life? Things don't go from disorder to order. Does, does your garage ever just go from disorder to order, right? God's hand, he created you specifically, right? So, so why are you here? That's another question. 
Well, we're here to worship him. That is our purpose, to know God and to worship him, to give him praise, to give him honor. And we see that at the throne room of God because we can really get tripped up by going, well, what's my purpose? That's not to necessarily make a lot of money. Your, your purpose is not your education. Your, your purpose is not your family, as, as wonderful as, as that is. Our purpose is to worship the Lord. And our life comes into alignment when that's right. When we seek first the kingdom of God, and we go, my existence is here to worship the Lord. God, I want to worship you today. In my thoughts, my actions, my words, And the gospel is what wins us over to worship, the grace of God, what Jesus has done for us. We could never purchase our redemption. Jesus purchased it for us. We could never work to pay off the wrongs of our sins, and Jesus accomplished that upon the cross. When we realize we're forgiven, we realize that we're saved, we're not worshiping to try to earn or deserve salvation. Does that make sense? We're worshiping because we're saved. We're we're worshiping because we're the children of God. We're worshiping because the the throne room of God is set. And that's what Paul realized in Romans chapter 12. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because God's so gracious, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship. We give our whole being to the Lord in worship. This is my purpose. God, this is why I exist today, is to bring you honor, to bring you praise, to be able to worship you. So church, we're going to, in just a moment, enter into this. We're going to enter into this. We're going to sing a song that speaks of Christ's worthiness. It's a call and response song. So the worship team's going to sing part of it, and then we're on the hook. We've got to sing the other part, all right? But who is worthy? Only Christ is worthy. But here's my encouragement to us this morning, is as we sing this song, let's make it the anthem of our lives. Not just a song that we sing and then we go on our way, but each and every day that Christ, you are worthy. I want you for a moment, if you can, that the Holy Spirit would awaken our spiritual imagination. Try to picture what the throne room of God is like. What is God's throne room like? We've read of it. And through the eyes of faith, to know, one, we're going to the throne room of God. Someday, we're going to be at the throne room of God. And then, also to know that right now, we have an invitation to God's throne room. God says, come boldly to my throne room of grace. You belong at the throne room of grace because of what Christ has done for you as a believer. For some reason, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you haven't trusted him for salvation. As we sing, I want to invite you to come down here in the front and trust Christ for salvation. To know that you have a reservation for heaven. Jesus declared to us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you've never made that decision of faith, you come and believe, repenting from sin and receiving the grace, receiving the forgiveness to be the child of God. Also, 
online, there's opportunity to respond. We've got a team that's ready to minister to you. If you'd like to receive Christ, just in the comments, the chats indicate, I want to receive Christ as my Savior. So you guys ready to sing? All right, let's stand together. Let's pray. And we're going to enter into worship together. Jesus, we thank you that you're worthy. You're awesome. You're holy. You're seated upon your throne. Nothing is intimidating to you. Nothing confuses you. You reign over the circumstances of our lives. You, you reign over our country, the countries of the world. And we look forward to the day as believers that we're going to be around your throne. But also we thank you that right now we have access to your throne. So Jesus, we make much of you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.